Hi, and welcome back to Women Rule. I'm Carrie Budoff Brown, editor of Politico. After a roller coaster of a year, it's our last podcast episode of 2017. I wanted to say thanks, first off, to our loyal listeners. For Politico, this podcast has been something of an experiment in content and form, and we're so happy you've joined us along the way. If you're new to Women Rule, we have a ton of interesting conversations from this year that you may want to catch up on over the holidays. Some of my personal favorites are interviews with Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow, former senior advisor to President Obama, Valerie Jarrett, and Kristen Beck, a transgender former Navy SEAL. We've had bonus episodes run alongside Politico's investigative reporting on women in public office and the dearth of women in federal law enforcement. And we've had a lot of fun on our episodes, too, chatting with celebrities like Allison Williams. But to close out the year, I wanted to reflect back on how we at Politico have covered the highest office in the nation, the presidency. It's been an unconventional White House, to say the least. So I brought together two of Politico's star White House reporters, Nancy Cook and Annie Carney. We talk about women in the executive branch, and we also talk about how Nancy and Annie have covered the presidency and what it's like as women in Washington. Keep listening for that conversation. On the Women Rule podcast, we'll be bringing you backstage with women leaders, the big bosses in politics and policy. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at Brown. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With the support of families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule and empowering the next generation of female leaders. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'd like to welcome Nancy Cook. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Yeah. Great to have you. And Annie Carney. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so for listeners, these are two, two of our top White House reporters who have been covering um, the Trump White House um, and the transition before that. Um, in a very intimate way and have been sort of up close and personal um, in the West Wing with folks. And I think maybe my first question for you, you, Nancy, right before we got on the air here, I was like, you know, what should we be talking about with the women and the Trump White House? And your response was? There aren't that many women. (laughs) Speak to that. I mean, but there are, right? There are women there. But like, what is the, you know, how when when you think about the Trump White House and the the role of women in his decision making, you are speaking to something there that has been noticeable about women's place in his sort of inner orbit. And what, what is that? What do you see there? Well, I think I should say there are, there are a lot of women in key slots. So for instance, like Hope Hicks, who is one of his closest aides, is the communications director. You have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the press secretary. You have Dina Powell, who was a part of the National Security Council. You know, she's going to leave in January. You have Kellyanne Conway, who's been sort of a very uh, vocal person 
who helped run the campaign, but also has been really a key salesperson for the administration. So I guess what I mean when I say there aren't as many women, I mean just in terms of like the core decision-making crew. You know, early on, we saw a lot of times it was Reince Priebus, the former chief of staff, and Steve Bannon, uh, you know, General Kelly now is there. Rob Porter is around for a lot of key decisions. McMaster, Tillerson. A lot of times you just see these photos or you see meetings and it's just a lot of men in the room with maybe one or two women. And I think that that's, you know, visually what you're struck by a lot of times. Have we seen what what has been the impact of that? How have we seen that play out other than the photos that we see, which are always really striking to me? Um, what's the impact on the, the policy? Can you point out any sort of tangible examples of what that means. I also think that we should just point out it's not just like women. It's usually white women. Um, and so I think that that's sort of a, a and key. We lost Amarosa last week. And, and even in her departure, right, she made a very big point of saying there are not any other African-American women at the table in the White House. Right. So I think that's a key point. In terms of policy, you know, I don't know if we can trace it to the way that it affects a certain policy. Uh, you know, I think the Trump White House has, you know, certain things that Trump wanted to do during the campaign. And a lot of, uh, you know, I think now his policy agenda is becoming increasingly a bit more of like a Republican establishment one. We've seen that with particularly the tax bill, you know, the effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. That's really a, a classic Republican ideology. Um, you know, I don't think that on the campaign we ever thought that Trump would be uh sort of the most pro-woman candidate in a way that liberals want. And I think we've seen that in the White House. I don't I don't think there's a lot of surprises there. That's my mm-hmm. point. Annie, what, what is your – so when you think about Trump and women in the White House, um, their place? It's not that different from the Obama administration. Like I did a story on this a couple months ago. Of the 22 staffers who make the max salary in the White House, five are women. Two of, the, uh, two of those are now gone, Omarosa and Dina Powell. Um, but in – Barack Obama's first term, it was about the same. Um, and they, like, banded together and mm-hmm. really struggled to have a voice at the decision-making mm-hmm. table. My story that I wrote a while ago was actually about how women are the survivors in Trump's White House, where the men were falling like flies. And yeah, the men great, were the drama queens. Uh, yeah. And the women <laughs> were just like, you know, Kellyanne Conway's not going anywhere. And what's the reason for that that you found? Um, a few things. One is that the women weren't in... Like Nancy was saying, women weren't in the prime positions. There wasn't a woman chief of staff who was going to get canned no matter what. They weren't in the prime positions, but also that the women who survived there somehow know how to manage Trump. Like we saw Kellyanne Conway during the inauguration weekend, like he called her up to the stage and she curtsied. He said, calls, hey, baby, come yeah. on up. I see my Kellyanne. Oh, Kellyanne. Come here. Come here. Come here, Kellyanne. Get up here. Come here, Kellyanne. She's been so great. Wow. When my men are petrified to go on a certain network, I say, Kellyanne, would you do it? Absolutely, no problem. Then she gets on and she just destroys them. So anyway, thank you, baby. Thank you. Call like Ivanka Trump laughs along when her dad says, like, if you weren't my daughter, I'd want to sleep with you. And she laughs. Like these aren't like they play along to get along, the women who survived there. And for like whatever decision they've made that they know how to manage this guy. 
in a way that the men don't. But also, to I just think I disagree with Nancy a little bit, which is that like none of these advice like seat at the decision making table. What does that even mean in Trump's White House? Like John Kelly, he listens to. Who else does he listen to? He doesn't didn't really listen to Reince. He listens to Bannon, sort of. He listens to himself. Like I think that all of the staff stories aren't going to age well over the long term. We've spent so much time covering staff dramas, and it doesn't matter because Trump's going to be Trump. And I don't think that if you were just watching from the outside, it's that different from like the Reince Priebus era to the John Kelly era. Like Mm -hmm. Trump's being Trump. I might push back on that a little bit because I think we do hear a lot about staff thwarting, preventing him from doing things and the stories of, you know, how many times we've prevented him from doing X, Y, or Z. So there is a lot of that, right? But – by and large, it's Trump making a decision right. on his own. And sometimes it's also Trump reacting to staff trying to push him to do something. Yeah. You know, when the transgender ban came out. Surprise announcement this morning. President Trump reversed the previous administration's order to admit transgendered individuals into the military. He basically tweeted out that uh, the U.S. government was no longer going to allow transgender people to serve in the military. And it caused a lot of chaos initially um, because the defense secretary, Mattis, didn't support it. Um, And there was sort of no thought to what to do with transgender people who are currently serving in the military. It was just sort of this uh, quick policy that was put out there. And the backstory that I was told in my reporting was that, you know, there were a group of lawyers who tried to talk Trump out of making that quick pronouncement by saying, well, we need to study this more. And they had been sort of trying to slow him down on a few other things, you know, some labor regulations, like more minor things. And he just got tired of people, lawyers telling him what to do and telling him to slow down. And so he just took it into his own hands and announced the ban over Twitter. You know, that's just an example of how it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman on his staff. Ultimately, he will always trust his gut. But we've also seen like Kirsten Nielsen was Kelly's deputy. She just went to become DHS secretary. If you had this view that he's bad for women, mm-hmm. that he's, you know, um, a misogynist in some way, you'd be surprised by the that the women seem to succeed in the administration. Yeah. To that point, I want to ask you about Sarah Sanders and the role that she plays, Annie. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders, as we know, is a press secretary. She hasn't really been involved compared to her predecessor, Sean Spicer, and too many big stories on her own volition. One thing, though, was Pygate. Um, it happened, I think, the day before Thanksgiving. She tweeted out a photo of a pecan pie that she made, and people tried calling her out on Twitter as it being a fake there was a fake pie, right? But um, she soon proved to them that it was indeed real. You know, is she an influential person in the West Wing, or how would you describe the weight that she carries? Um, I think she is liked by him. For what reason? Um, I think that I think that they like what she's brought to the briefing room, which is cooled it down a little bit. You don't see a lot of news cycles generated just by Sarah making news about Hitler or whatever else like Sean Spicer did. She's I think we talked about this once. Like if you had to she's homespun. You know, she had this pie gate thing with April Ryan. Like she's got the kids. She's got three kids she talks about. She she posts pictures of like the pecan pie she makes. She's (laughs) southern. She's like she's tough, but she's motherly. (laughs) And it's this vibe that I think works helps him. Um, her persona. Um, I don't think 
I don't get the sense that she's a big decision maker at the table. He still, oh, she told me once, he still gives her feedback. He still watches sometimes on delay. He still gives her feedback. Like what kind of feedback? Um, Like watching game tape, I think. Like you could have, (laughs) I liked your answer on this. He likes it when she's tough. Um, So he still is tuned in and like likes to be the coach, really, of these players. What, what's, what is Kellyanne's trajectory in the White House? Kellyanne Conway, who is a senior uh, advisor to the president, and she recently appeared at our Women Rule Summit. My theory, and I'd, I'd love you two to tell me whether I'm right or wrong, is that she is building a constituency inside the White House in a way that others haven't, and that one day it may pay off in a big way for her, and she's sort of laying in wait for like a bigger moment. I think one thing that I've just been impressed or one thing that I think has enabled her survival in the White House is her sort of adaptability. So, you know, she was really the campaign manager during the campaign. I didn't cover the campaign. Um, You know, then she was one of these people early on who had sort of this broad, undefined portfolio. Like, I feel like she um, is you know, a very public facing person for the administration um, and sort of defends the president and goes on TV, but also has been, I don't want to make this sound like negative, like a shapeshifter or chameleon, but like she does have that. I I feel like she can read the signals of like where the White House is going. And, 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 And as Annie said, as a survivor and sort of recalibrates her role or portfolio based on that. She's definitely a survivor. She made a big point of buying some, I don't know, $8 million house here. She moved her kids here while other members of the administration have been living out of hotels. She's like making a statement like, I'm here for real. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Um, She's still an effective on-camera personality for them. But she was smart in taking taking that down a lot. She purposefully like took herself out of the spotlight a little more, gave herself this, like made herself be the opioids person, worked closely with Milan. She's very smart at having the right allies. She worked closely with the first lady. She has a close personal, like Donald Trump still always likes her, values her. Reince and Bannon tried to cut her out at the beginning. But she... And she's still there and they're not. Right. (laughs) Because she's smart about the, the... I mean, she's good at office politics. Yeah. Uh, and she's good at maintaining the most important relationship with, with the president who still really values her. Yep. Um, but I think she's, I think you're right that she'll be one of the last ones standing. I think so. And I think that she could be chief of staff one day, potentially. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back with more Women Rule. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With the support of families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. And I think that's just to add a point to the personnel stuff. I mean, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch in January uh, as we sort of see who are the women in the administration because we have Dina Powell leaving. Um, you know, there's Omarosa. Omarosa leaving. leaving. Uh, you know, Shahira Knight, who's on the National Economic Council, who's been very integral in tax reform. People think that she will leave after tax reform is done. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I, I think that'll be an interesting moment for the whole White House, like for both men and women. But but since we're talking about women on this podcast, just to see who ends up coming in, like who, you know, I, I think that the White House, the, the whole tone of it could drastically shift um, based on all these different sort of the merry-go-round of personnel. And Annie, on uh, Ivanka Trump, another powerful woman in, in the Trump orbit, uh, lots of discussion about how long she stays and also her role and her power within the White House. Has shrunk yeah. dramatically. Let's talk about that. Like, I used to cover Ivanka and Jared as sort of a standalone beat, and it's just not anymore. <laughs> they don't um, – they saw their power shrink drastically when John Kelly came in, and she – Jared Kushner has complained about it to people. He doesn't have the free-flowing going into Mm -hmm. any meeting he wants to anymore. And Ivanka has really tried, I think, aware of the backlash against her as a quote-unquote moderating force on anything, has tried to make her mark on this child care tax credit and paid family leave. And I don't think that um, those – I mean, they didn't get paid family leave. Mm -hmm. The child tax credit was really Marco Rubio's thing, and it was not huge. Mm -hmm. Um, So to – I don't know if she's... But it's something that Americans didn't have before at that level. Yeah, so she, but she could claim some minor victory on that if that's what she wants to point to as her achievement after a year in the White House. But I think she's been much more effective as a title she totally hates, which is like a stand-in first lady. She went to India as like a representative of the administration. She went to Japan, where she's really popular, um, kind of as like a ambassador type uh, or a first lady type. She's a good surrogate out there in the world. But in terms of like making policy in the White House out of her office with her team, less to show for it. Yep. I think that's like always the big question for women in politics. Like so often I feel like women and I'm not just speaking about the Trump White House. I'm just speaking broadly. Like so often women are in the communication roles and they're in like the forward facing salesman roles. And I feel like we won't really see gender parity in any White House, Obama White House, Trump White House, until there's more women like making foreign policy. Well, to and that point, yes. Nancy, in the, in the latter years of the Obama administration, you had Lisa Monaco, counterterrorism advisor, Susan Rice as a national security right. advisor, and the third one, Catherine Rumler, who was the general counsel. And mm-hmm. you had these three women who basically – and I did a story on it as part of our women rule sort of coverage years ago. That was highly – that is highly unusual. Um, you know, we don't – I guess, you know, Dina Powell was a deputy national security advisor, mm-hmm. right, in the in the Trump White House, losing her as a whole, like mm-hmm. who is a woman who steps up to the plate there. Do we have any idea? The most likely um, replacement is this woman, Nadia Shadlow, who is um, a deputy assistant to the president who works in the National Security Council. So – there should be another woman in the room. Good. Yeah. So let's turn to both of you as as women who cover the White House in Washington. Um, are there any sort of unique experiences that you have as women covering politics in Washington and specifically the Trump White House? I'll start with you, Nancy. You know, I haven't really found that gender plays a big role um, in my coverage of the White House. Like, I don't I don't feel like I 
am shut out of things because I'm a woman or I get more access. Um, I don't know. Is there any advantage that you think you have as a woman? Not my advantage, but like something that plays a much bigger role for me rather than being a woman is being a mother. And I feel like the way that I connect with like a lot of my sources is like we talk about our children. Um, And, you know, maybe that's partly because sometimes I talk to White House people while my three-year-old is singing the theme to Frozen in the background. (laughs) Uh, you know, particularly mm-hmm. if I'm talking to people at night or on the weekends. Yeah. But I find that that is a more overriding thing um, because it's a way to, you know, these are people who work all the time. Um, you know, they don't go out. They haven't been to the new restaurant. Do you know what I mean? If you want to make small talk with them, a lot of times I find a, an easy entry point is to say, like, how is your kids? Or yep, totally. um, And so That's that that longer. is a bigger thing for me. Annie, what do you have any – in your year covering this White House in Washington, you used to be in New York before this, covering New York City politics, and then you covered politics for Politico. You covered Hillary Clinton. Um, that is a bit of a shift from a like world covering Hillary Clinton to, to this Washington um, – what what unique experiences do you think you have that may be tied to you being a woman or maybe not, which is cool, too? I used to be of the mind that, like, you know, to be a feminist is just to do your work mm-hmm. and be good at your job and be out there doing it and not talk about what it's like to be a woman. But this whole Me Too moment have really changed my mind on that, <laughs> that I don't like clearly we're being treated differently all the time. And it's sort of like asking, like, what is your experience as an only child? Like, I don't know. It's just what I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. Um, but so, but I've never noticed. Like, I have male colleagues who have been taken out to the golf course by uh, sources. That's true. That's and like, I don't get invited to do that. Um, there's pluses and minuses, but I think mm-hmm. I actually think it's totally different. How you're treated. Just give me a few more examples that, of what you're talking about, how you're treated differently. Well, actually, I mean, the most stark one was literally like there was a day when I was in Jerusalem on Trump's first foreign trip and I was the pool reporter. And the other pool reporter, my co-pooler was Carol Lee, who was at the Wall Street Journal at the time. So we were two women and we went to the Western Wall, which is divided by gender. And so we were supposed to be the closest to the president as the pool reporters, but had to be on the woman's side of the wall. Um, so there was like a fence and the male TV reporter and stuff could go on the side with Trump. And we were on the side with Ivanka and Melania and could look over the fence to watch the president, um, but couldn't be on that side. So that was sort of interesting. That uh, did not happen to me when I went there with really? Obama in 2008. You were on the male side? We were not. We were not pushed apart. So I was there when he puts the paper in the wall. Yeah, it was a campaign trip. It was not an official trip, uh, presidential trip. But that did not happen. So I and I and I remember that. I don't think that 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 was a choice by the White House not to push. I would think because given that, um, that did not happen to me as a pooler. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is different. That is different. So that was like an actual. Mm -hmm. I am on a different side of the fence. Yeah. Different. As an Obama uh, reporter covering the Obama White House, I did notice in those early years, like particularly like the Robert Gibbs era, that there was a sort of sports towel snapping culture that the male reporters thrived in and that women generally had to act a certain way to sort of be part of that joke. But then what we did as women was we banded together and formed sort of our own network to get the attention of administration officials. 
um, and get them to come Actually, to us for dinner. Yeah. You know, I've, that's another thing that I've noticed here that seems to be a culture of Washington reportering mm-hmm. is I've been – I'm part of two dinner groups mm-hmm. of women reporters who invite yep. a administration official, a member of Congress to dinner, and it's all women reporters. And at first I thought, you know, like what – we're not having women to dinner. Why? Why is it all women? But maybe I don't. Maybe this is an outgrowth of that. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. It's not, and it's not the ideal situation. But mm-hmm. it's good in other ways. Where they're competitive. We're all from different outlets. When I was doing it, and we would mm-hmm. sort of the collective power of having the New York Times, Politico, mm-hmm. the Post, the journals, maybe some TV people, and saying we're going to get the chief of staff to come and sit with us. When Dennis McDonough came to our thing like multiple times. Mm-hmm. And you really, even though you were in an environment that was off the record, but you're getting the, you're getting inside the thought process of a senior administration official you otherwise may not have been able to get to. I thought that that was the value was greater than the drawback mm-hmm. of sitting with. And then I got to know other women in the press corps, and I think that has benefits in and of itself. I have loved this dinner yeah. tradition that doesn't exist in New York that I've yeah. only experienced here, and it is different with only women reporters asking mm-hmm. the questions. There's less how likely, so? How is it different? There's less likely to be one person dominating in, mm-hmm. in a way. Yep. Um, and People I, take their turns. They get yeah, time. It's, it is different. Oh, you didn't get to ask a question? Yeah, oh, let's go over to Nancy. It's, it's, that's totally it's like just, that. It just really is different. And I do think that the benefit, I learn more from a group of than, than even mm-hmm. having that person one-on-one. Yes. It's actually, I come out having been impressed by my colleagues, uh-huh. by the questions they ask, learning more than I would have on my own sometimes. So I agree. But the thing that I do want to point out, though, is I feel like, uh, you know, the White House, there are a lot of women who mm-hmm. cover the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's three of us on the White House team here. You know, you see a lot of w- women in the White House briefing room. You know, I used to cover economic policy, um, which is like a very male-dominated niche of reporting. Um, and I remember TV bookers sometimes would say, uh, you know, we'd love you to come on and talk about, you know, tax policy because we need a woman. Um, you know, I am a white woman from Connecticut. Like if I am your diversity uh, <laughs> on a panel, that is a real problem. And so I guess for me, like coming from more of a policy background uh, experience where a lot of my sources were all men, my colleagues and competitors were all men usually – I found there to be a lot of women reporting on the White House. And it's nice to feel like it's a bit more – I wouldn't say it's totally 50-50, but there's a lot of women who are kicking ass on this beat. Yep, that's for sure. So as two women who have succeeded and thrived, what would you tell the younger version of yourself, Nancy, um, maybe 15 years ago? Advice to yourself. I would I would say be very open to new and different experiences. Um, you know, I never dreamed about covering the White House, and I also never thought I would live in Washington. I was like a – I think I feel like Annie will empathize with me on this one, but I was a real <laughs> New York snob. Um, and so I just like – this wasn't something that I thought I would do, but – Um, you know, you find yourself in these moments and these opportunities and things can crop up and they can be awesome and really interesting. And so I feel like it's good to look ahead and think about what you want and go after it. But it's also good when life takes you in a different path to recognize that you're on this amazing different path and you should seize this opportunity. Annie, what about you? What would you tell your younger self just starting out? To have some faith that it'll work out. Um, even if it takes a while, and to seek out female mentors, um, as uh, there's like a lot of 
male editors in this business and um, having female mentors is important too. So look for them. And I would echo Annie's comment about just, uh, you know, it's going to work out. Like if I could go back and tell my (laughs) 24-year-old self, you know, working at a small crappy newspaper, like take a Xanax, like it's going to be fine, (laughs) you know. you. Oh, also I would say that like, you know, I mean, not that we're at the upper echelons of our profession, but. What do you mean, Annie Carney? <laughs> yes, you are. I mean, but I was just reminiscing with a friend over the weekend about, like, the excitement of, like, a, one of my big exclusives at the New York Post and, like, running back in the newsroom with my tape recorder and, like, feeling like the character in the paper saying, like, I got it. I got it. And, like, that – it's no different. That feeling – if you love that feeling, like it's it's not that much better if you do it at Political in the White House or at the New York Times. It's the same mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. of like breaking a big story and and at the little paper, at the big paper, like it's the same high um, that I've always loved about mm-hmm. the job. So like if you're just enjoy it if you're at the mm-hmm. little paper because yep. it's not that different when you get to the big paper. Yep. <laughs> Find something you yeah. like and keep trying to replicate it no yeah. matter where you are. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, ladies. It was great to have you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you. Annie. Thanks. This was really fun.